Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have a special guest, James Williams from Darkwater, Darkwaters. Um, I heard about him from my friend, Justin Snyder, uh, who made the movie uh, Path of the Beast. You can go to pathofthebeast.com, and his CD and stream has just come out. And welcome to the show, James. Thank you for having me on, my friend. I'm excited to spend a little time with you talking about all things paranormal and everything under the sun. I'm ready to rumble, baby. That is awesome. So you live in New Orleans, the most haunted city in America. Yeah, New Orleans has been here my whole life. I've been maybe like three or four years outside of all one time. One of the most haunted cities, one of the most mystical cities full of ancient lore, occultic rituals, satanic rituals, hoodoo, hoodoo, you name it, we got it out here, man. It's, it's an amazing place. And if you know how to navigate it, then you'll be fine. You know, if you don't mind to navigate it, get yourself in trouble real quick. That's who wants. You're breaking up a little bit. I was saying, if you know how to navigate this city, you'll be fine. But if you don't know how to navigate um, being down here, you'll run into all kinds of problems. Hmm. Well, I've navigated my way to the Superdome to see Snoop Dogg a couple years ago. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I don't really like Snoop Dogg, but I mean, <laughs> if you're going to New Orleans and you go to anything at the Superdome, you enjoy That's a fantastic venue. A venue that's seen a lot of tragedy, but still a fantastic venue. It really is. Yeah. Um, so what, was, what was great? The tragedy was like, what, during Katrina, correct? Yeah, 2005, during the tra- a lot of people got stashed in there um, during the storm. Between that and the convention center, lights went out, roofs got ripped off, people were raped, robbed, pillaged, murdered. It was a terrible place for someone to be out there, Katrina. It really, really was. Wow. Is it haunted? I would say it is. I don't have any stories from the employees there that talk about it. Um, I haven't really put too much energy into trying to find out about it. Pretty much every place down here has got something going on, so I'm assuming it is. I know the convention center has a couple of ghosts that employees have complained about. Um, So I'm pretty sure the Superdome has a lot of problems as well. I'm pretty sure it does. Great. Uh, What is uh, the most haunted place in New Orleans? Um, I would have to say if you're looking for hauntings, you would need to go to St. Louis Cemetery where uh, Marie Laveau is buried. It's kind of like the, you know, on the beaten path of hauntings. And there's been people, plenty of people who've seen things there. Um, when you start, when you start talking about New Orleans in general, and you want to talk about hauntings and strange things, it's hard to get people to understand, but uh, years ago, I would say New Orleans is the place where paranormal is the norms, meaning you can go pretty much in anyone's house and hold a conversation with them. And if you can get them to start talking, they'll tell you about something freaky or weird that happened at their house. So it's not like it's any particular location where you're going to find the activity. It's a way of life down here. It's a part of the lifestyle down here. 
And that's mainly because of um, the way we celebrate death, the way we accept death, and the sheer amount of death that happens down here, whether it be murder, natural disasters, um, it's a lot of death in New Orleans, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and also, like, like New Orleans has a, a, a really rich history, too. Oh, yeah. It's got a, it's got a huge history. You got to understand, you got the transatlantic slave trade that came through, Irish, Scottish, Italians, um, Jewish, uh, Native American, everything. The Battle of New Orleans. You have so much stuff here. The French. You have so much stuff that's transpired here that there's no way um, this place gets out unscathed. I mean, there's just no way. And then when you start talking about um, the traditions of New Orleans, like if you get in a Mardi Gras, which is part of an ancient Roman tradition of um, of having parades and wearing masks, and people doing sex rituals, and every year you have um, parades, which are in effect an imitation of ancient Roman rituals that that were worshipped to Roman gods and deities. So you have all of that stuff going on. Um, you have the celebration of Kronos, who was known for eating his own children, which is the tradition of the king cake with the baby inside the cake. Most people don't understand that, that it, uh, it goes back to Kronos himself eating children. You have the colors of the Mardi Gras, purple, yellow, and green, um, which if you look at the Joker, right, the, the character, the Joker, which goes back to the clown, what color is Joker wearing? Purple, yellow, and green. Um, and that goes back to the ancient traditions of the very first clowns, which were known to murder children. It's so much wild stuff here in New Orleans, man. Most people aren't even aware of what they celebrate, but it all has to do with the uh, spiritual energy of this city. So it's that kind of sums it up in a nutshell for anybody who doesn't know. And that, that kind of takes you into the deep part of the water, but I put a little floaty on you, you know, I throw you to deep <laughs> into the pool, but I give you a life preserver, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also famous for the voodoo, right? I mean, they have a lot of voodoo shops down there on Bourbon Street. Yeah. So you have voodoo and you have hoodoo. Um, you have voodoo. When you start talking about that kind of stuff, um, you're talking about the traditions that came over from the transatlantic slave trade. Um, and you really don't find many black voodoo practitioners now. A majority of the voodoo practitioners are white people. And the voodoo practitioners that are owned shops are they're not really black people. But inside of houses, and this is where you have to be careful about New Orleans. Like there's the commercial hoodoo and voodoo, right? Uh -huh. Where um, stuff is for sale. But when you get into the neighborhoods, you'll go into houses and there's fast money candles lit and there's um, come to me spell candles lit and reversing spells and black candles and all kinds of stuff inside people's houses. Like there's this thing down here in the black community where if you cross somebody, they'll burn candles on you. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows about it. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you're really careful about who you mess with because they start practicing spiritual warfare on you and attempting to do things to undermine you. So um, that tradition is ingrained into the city. And it's not, you know, you hear about it on TV and they talk about Marie Laveau and they talk about all the big names, but it's not the big names you got to worry about. It's the, the chick who, whose heart you broke six months ago who decides she's going to go to some kind of botanical shop and, and get a skull candle and try and control your mind. Or it's the 
um, the the mother-in-law who decides that she's going to pray to uh, St. Joseph, the worker, to to um, make sure you lose your job. Like, it's crazy stuff, dude, down here. Like, people normally pray to St. Joseph, the worker, to get a job, but you can do it the opposite way as well. I mean, it's when I say it's insane stuff, it's insane in the membrane down here when it comes to that. <laughs> do you have to believe in it for it to really affect you, or will it also affect non-believers? In my opinion, I don't. I believe that it doesn't matter if you believe in it or not; it can affect you. It's it's the equivalent of the the ethereal realm. You know what I'm saying? Just because you don't believe in it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect you. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Um, it's Absolutely. there, regardless as to whether your belief or not. It still exists. So existence, in many cases, most people believe that existence of something is based on belief, right? Yes. Well. That's not true. We discovered that in nature where they found huge, gigantic sharks at the bottom of the sea that they thought didn't exist. Well, just because you didn't believe, you don't believe that it exists doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, you know? So um, people get that confused. The best Uh way to deal with that kind of stuff is to learn how to spiritually protect yourself. If you're a Christian, understand how to, how important prayer is. If you decide you're going to practice pagan magic, then you better practice it well. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to be a hoodoo practitioner, then you better have your reversal candles and all that in your incense. You just need to know how to protect yourself. You know, I, I believe in Jesus Christ and that's my protection. Um, I have my problems with people in the past and then they had their problems after they did what they did. That's just how it goes, you know? Wow. So, so have you ever had anybody like cross you or put a hex or spell on you before? Uh, I've had plenty as dark waters, the paranormal storyteller, the person who professes Jesus Christ on major radio shows around the world, not just locally in America. Oh, hell yeah. I had people, I had uh, some guys who out of China that really didn't like me going and talking about Jesus in China. And they practiced ancient Chinese magic, which was black magic. And they decided they was going to send something my way. That didn't work out too well for them. I've had um, a small covenant of witches that got upset. Um, based on one interview I did because the host that was doing those interviews, he and I became friends and just through conversation, you know, he was initially into Wicca and, and practicing magic. And just through conversations, he was like, you know, I used to think that, you know, all Christians were like, would judge you and put you down, but you never once judged me. And I just told him, I said, man, you know, Jesus didn't judge people. Jesus didn't, he walked with everybody. He was friends with everybody. And that's what I try and live up to. I'm not going to turn you down because you believe differently. I'm just going to show you who I am as a person. And then you can judge me based on the way I treat you. And so they got a little upset because him and I, he and I got close. And I'd say, I think we did an interview at three o'clock in the morning. The next morning, um, my pancreas was hurting extremely bad. Um, like someone was stabbing me. I mean, literally stabbing me and went to the doctor and nothing was wrong. And, I talked to one of my other friends who had an NDE, met God, and he and I were talking on the phone. He said, man, somebody hexed you. I, I can tell. And we did some praying on it um, for about three days. Then I did, uh, it stopped, the pain went away, then it came back, and then I just did like five days of fasting and praying, and it went away. And then months later, it turned out that the person who actually did that, she went crazy, was admitted to a mental hospital, and nobody's really talked to her since she's done that. So, yeah, there have been people who've done things. And there are people who will do things. Um, 
because that stuff is all about power. You know, in, in fact, most individuals, they seek power by any means necessary. You know, we want the power to influence and change our lives. And that's what magic and hoodoo and voodoo and, and prayer and pretty much everything boils down to. We want to have power over this world and this environment that we're in um, because things don't always go our way. And some people are willing to, you know, invoke negative dark spirits. Some people are willing to pray and be patient and go through the lessons that they need to learn so they can get whatever reward they want to get. And, but it all boils down to power. And that's what it, that's what this whole, when you start talking about hoodoo and voodoo, it boils down to power, power to affect change in your life immediately, as opposed to waiting for things to naturally transgress. Right. So it's just people being impatient and trying to get what they want right away. Instant gratification. People being people is the way I would say it. Because, you know, if, if you and I are sitting at a table and we, we're on one side and we put 10 individuals across the table from us and we put a gold coin in the middle of the table and say, Hey, if you touch this gold coin, you can have three wishes. But after your three wishes are done, you're going to die. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Two or three out of that 10 is going to grab that coin and, and make their wishes knowing that they've cursed themselves to death. It's people being people. You know what I'm saying? And, that, and that's human nature. Yeah. So that's what it all boils down to. Awesome. Um, well, not awesome, really. I mean, it kind of is a bummer, really, when people are going to do that. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't go for the coin. <laughs> I wouldn't go for the coin. I wouldn't. I don't I, need the coin. I, I, I'd much rather sit back and let life happen. It's kind of how I do things. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah. It keeps me out of trouble. I find that when I try to force things to go my way, that's when I run into obstacles. When I just kind of go with the flow, I end up where I'm supposed to be. And that's the best approach to take. You know, um, I don't force things in my life. I set goals and, and targets and I, I achieve to hit those goals and targets. Sometimes I hit them. Sometimes I don't. And if I don't hit it this time, I just keep on trying until I hit it. And eventually I hit all my goals and all my targets. And that's the best way to handle it. Um, and I just pray daily that, you know, I am sensitive to what's going on around me and the people around me, anybody who needs help, that I'm there to help them. And I just do what I do, you know. Um, yeah. This kind of doing this as a real-life librarian of paranormal stories and for those of you who never don't have a clear understanding of what I do, essentially, I take phone calls from people all around the world about their paranormal encounters um, and talk to them and vet those encounters via the phone. The ones locally, I'll go there if it's nothing demonic. If, if you tell me you got like Bigfoot on your property, I wouldn't mind going there locally. But if you tell me you got a demon, I'm not going because that just doesn't make sense to put myself in that environment. But um, and then I recreate those stories in an audio format to where the audience can actually enjoy that encounter, but safely enjoy it. And so I've talked and I've spoken to over a thousand witnesses at this point in time. I, I would say I'm at probably about 1300 people who've had various different encounters or different things from all around the world. And the one thing uh, I've learned from talking to people all around the world is that the one thing we have in common is we want something better for our lives. You know what I'm saying? We all want something better. We want a little bit more. We want things to be in order. 
And sometimes it's that attempt to put things in order that puts people in negative situations. Um, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier. So doing this, you know, you really get to understand human nature. You really get to understand spiritual warfare on a level that most people will never understand. Um, and most people probably don't care to understand. You know, most people don't want to know what's walking with them when they walk down the street. They don't want to know what's attached to them as they go about their business. They don't want to know what's attached to their wife or their girlfriend or their children. Um, but in my case, I have to know because um, I need to be aware of the influences that are on me and around me. Yes, absolutely. Um, when you say talk about spiritual warfare, um, is that something that, that just ordinary people are doing? Or do you think or have you spoken with anybody who's aware of governments practicing it? Say that last part, you broke up aware of government. Um, um, are, are you aware of, of governments practicing like spiritual and psychic warfare? Have you spoken with anybody who has experienced that? Yes. I've spoken to people who've been a part of programs. Um, and it's not really programs. It's study groups at various universities. So I'll tell you about one. Um, there was a study group out of Louisiana state university on demonic possession. And, um, they used a computer program and, uh, I think it's, it's a it's similar to an EKG that connects to your, your heart and to your brain. And basically they, they, um, had students go out drinking. They had 10 students go out drinking, 10 students, um, for the weekend didn't drink and they measured their, kind of spiritual aura that was around them after the weekend of drinking and partying. They find that they found that the people who were out drinking, literally their auras were identical to those people who were spiritually possessed, like demonically possessed. Um, and that was one of the most significant things that I've ever, you know, discussed with a witness. And I came to the understanding that, you know, we call liquor spirits, right? Right. Well, the reason why they call it liquor spirits is because when you get yourself intoxicated and drunk and inebriated, then you pretty much lower your spiritual defenses and things can attach themselves to you. And I tell people all the time, there's a reason why Jesus changed water into wine and not vodka or Hennessy or cognac or tequila. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and people don't understand that. You know, they don't get it. And, um, and so, yes, there are um, experiments that have gone on um with people and the, but the most important thing to take from it is you know you have a certain level of control over what you allow to happen to you but you have to be conscious of it um you really have to be conscious of what you're doing as a young man you know anybody who's ever drunk as a young man and you know kind of got drunk and hung out at the club or hung out at a barroom or hung out anywhere you know what happens to you when you get to drinking you know what I'm saying? Oh, you become a whole nother person. And most people become a whole nother person. They just don't understand why they're becoming that other person. Right. And a lot of it is spiritual. So um, at this point in time, the only thing I do is smoke cigars and drink wine. I may have some champagne every now and then, but outside of that, there's no hard liquor in my house whatsoever. <laughs> and it won't be like, there's literally nothing in my house. That's hard liquor. Yeah. I gave up drinking when I was about 20. Every time I drank, I'd wake up like in the middle of Philadelphia somewhere. Not know how I got mm -hmm. there, dude. I have a friend named Carlos, right? Carlos lives in Miami, rich Cuban family out of Miami. 
Carlos would get drunk. Call me, like he'll call me tonight drunk, and he'd be like, hey, bro, I love you, bro. You know I love you, bro. You know how the Cubans are, they wild. I love you, bro. You're my friend. I, I love you, bro. And then the next morning he'll call, bro, I need you to pick me up. I'm like, why? I don't know where. I'm in someone's driveway, bro. I don't even know what house I'm at. Come get me, bro. <laughs> He's like, wait, what? <laughs> You're laying this. I'm in someone's driveway. I slept in the driveway, bro. Come get me, bro. I'm like, Carlos, man, you got to stop drinking, dude. You really got to give it up. But uh, he was one of those guys. And I tell you, that guy got drunk. He did everything. Like, there was nothing that Carlos would not do when he got drunk. It was insane. How about when he was sober? I'm going to let that playing, I'm going to let that playing, you know, go by so you can edit that out. But what was he doing? When he was sober. Yeah. Oh, when he was sober, he was funny, kind of outgoing person. But he was nothing like the dude he is when he was drunk. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was just cool. Carlos. But when he got drunk, man, he was disgusting, wild, obnoxious, you know, just a habitual line stepper would do things that were like, dude, you really shouldn't be doing that, man. Somebody's going to beat your behind <laughs> for doing that, man. Somebody's going to hurt you. That was Carlos. Right. So, so when he sobered up, like, is it like the negative uh, entities that attach to himself, they go away? Or do they stay with him yep. afterwards? It takes time for that entity to go away. In the study, it took um, several days for that entity to go away and for that spiritual aura to change. And think about it. You know, if everybody who's listening, you've been intoxicated. You wake up the next morning, you're dehydrated, you're groggy. Your your whole demeanor's change. Your mouth's dry. Some people woke up and vomit and snot. It takes a couple of days to overcome that, um, and then finally you're back to normal, and um, you're back to your normal spiritual self. So, you know, it, I say that just as a warning to people. You know, be conscious of what you do, and you and anybody listening, you know, majority. Think about what happened since coronavirus hit. Right, domestic violence skyrocketed. And alcohol use and drug use skyrocketed. Simultaneously, domestic violence and all kind of other stuff skyrocketed, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you're at home with nothing to do and you're drinking all day, you can imagine what's going on in people's houses all around the United States. Just insane, crazy stuff. So I just say that as a warning, telling people to be careful and be mindful that, you know, um, what you put in your body definitely has an effect on you. All right. Yeah, it affects you. It affects everybody, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand that uh, you have um, some interest or have some stories about the dog man. Yeah, I have plenty of stories about dog man. Um, where do you want to start? I mean, I don't know what people yeah, know I, I, about I, I, dog so, man. I'm myself. I'm sort of a novice when it comes to the dog man. I don't know a whole lot about dog man. Okay. Well. When you want to start in the history of dog man, you need to start with a lady named Linda Godfrey. Okay. I call her Mama Dog Man. Um, over 20 years ago, she started documenting cases about the Michigan dog man and people having encounters on Bray Road and documenting those and documenting those encounters that people were having. Um, moving forward, people have been reported seeing upright walking wolves or canines for years. Um, and what I mean by imagine a black timber wolf that's walking on its hind legs anywhere between nine to 12 feet tall, 
sharp pointy ears on top of his head, um, yellow eyes, black pupil, snout, teeth, um, huge muscle structure, um, big animal, extremely big animal. And people have been seeing these everywhere. I mean, it's not just in the U.S., it's all around the world. Um, when I first heard about Dog Man, I didn't believe it. And I was super skeptical and I ended up being left on the side of a road um, with several of those things kind of running towards me. Um, just being an idiot, man. Just being an idiot in Mississippi and Taylor, Mississippi um, years ago. I, I just, that was just the dumbest thing I've ever done. Um, but moving forward from there, I started getting more and more reports of people who had encounters with these dogmen. Now, there's people who have fictitious encounters. Um, they're attention-seeking, clout-chasing people. There's a portion of that. Uh, there's a, I bet you there's a significant portion of people who know that they can garner attention by making up a good story, right? Then there's people who really encounter these creatures. And uh, the way that you tell if someone has really had a true dog man encounter is um, the, the number one thing is they're extremely hesitant to even talk about it. Like they're worried, they're concerned, they're scared that they're going to be made fun of. Um, and so it takes a lot to, to get a person to talk. Even when they call me to tell me the story, the conversation goes, well, you know, I know you know about dog man and I had an encounter, but, I'm really nervous about sharing that with you, but I want to tell you, I want to ask you questions and it takes a little while to get them to open up. Right. Then the other person that calls with their encounter is a person who's had one, but they don't really want you to know they had one, but they want to ask questions about what they saw. And so they'll just call and say, Hey, dog waters, man, I was wondering, you know, if, uh, if seeing large kind of yellow eyes and eyes shine in the woods, would that be dog, man? And then I go through the process, well, how large were the eyes? And they'll talk about the size. What was the eye shine color? They're like, well, it was like kind of like somebody shining a light through a beer glass, you know, um, a glass full of beer. Well, mm -hmm. that sounds like dog, man, right? Um, and the overwhelming and overall, not overwhelming, the, yeah, I think you see the overall um, takeaway from it is this is a creature or an entity that you don't want to have an encounter with. Like you don't want to run across this in the woods. You don't want to be in the vicinity of it. You don't want to mess with it. You don't want to shoot it. You don't want to harm it. If you're in the area where this is, leave the area, period. There's no, it's not like a Bigfoot where like, you know, Bigfoot's going to knock on mm -hmm. trees and, and grow. no, this thing is going to confront you and it's going to, to actually um, run you out of the area intentionally terrorize you and if you actually assault it in any way shape or form i wouldn't even say assault even if you make eye contact with it it has this nature about itself where it wants to scare you and let you know that it's boss and that's been the majority of the encounters that people have told me like just i have a phone call when i get off with you to check on a buddy of mine who has dog man on his property he's been dealing with it for four years um him and his dog initially accidentally marked one of the trees in these creatures territory. So imagine you out walking your dog, you got to take a leak and your dog starts taking a leak on a tree and you decide you're going to take a leak on a tree, right? Mm -hmm. You just in the woods, man. You don't, you ain't thinking about it. I got to use the bathroom. Well, when you go home, 
these things come home and start pissing all around your house. And you wake up the next morning, your house smells like urine. And you're like, well, what the hell's been urinating outside my house? Well, that's how his encounter started. And it progressed from that urine smell to them peeping in the windows to them standing in the wood lines to his dog being afraid to go outside. Um, I'm going to let that pass again. Dude, that looked like a military bomber plane, like just flying over the city. That's crazy. <laughs> wow. And it's flying low, dude. That's a huge really? plane flying extremely low. Um, and it progressed from peeping in the windows, standing in the wood line, to it got to the point to where one night he's in his house, chilling, watching TV. And at this point in time, he had fallen and hurting his back extremely bad. So he's not wheelchair bound, but he's using a walker. And he hears this beating outside on his van. Right? You know how it sounds when somebody beats on the side of your, your car, your truck, yeah. that, mm -hmm. that kind of thumping sound? He hears that beating, and he looks out the window, and he doesn't see anything. Looks out his front window right next to the door, doesn't see anything. He hears the beating again, opens the door, has a shotgun, a Saga 12 shotgun, flashlight on it. And, um, and so now he's looking and he sees, I'm going to have to go inside because they clearly practice and bombing out here or something. This is crazy. Um, sorry about that. There's no way to predict them practicing World War Three bomb runs outside the house. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I'm serious, man. There's no way to predict them doing that. All right, we won't have that interruption anymore. So he's, Imagine this, he's at the front window looking out and he's got a Saga 12 shotgun flashlight on and he's actually shining like through the window and he sees this, these, this eye shine low to the ground by his, the front side of his van. Well, he opens the door, steps out, and now he's got the shotgun shining in that area and he sees this, he called it cute. He said, man, I saw this cute little wolf thing that was kind of crawling on all fours towards the front door. Uh -huh. And once it realized I was outside, it stood up and it stood extremely still and like it was trying to hide. And then it started moving towards this tree. He said, it got behind the tree and it disappeared. And I said, well, you know what it looked like. And he described pretty much like a Fox, you know what I'm saying? He said, man, it didn't really look like a timber wolf. It looked like a brownish blackish like Fox. Um, he said, but you could tell this thing was like extremely small. I'm like, okay. I said, well, what else happened? Well, he's stepping out of the uh, front door onto the porch, going down to investigate more. And something told him to shine his light and the tree line across on the other side of his property. So now he's scanning the trees with his flashlight and he gets this eye shine. Um, and he described the size of the eyes as, you know, the size of a, um, the bottom of a your average kind of cup, like a plastic, small plastic cup or a styrofoam cup, uh -huh. like the the size of the bottom of a styrofoam cup, just like the eight ounce cup, you know, the little white ones that you get, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. That size, amber, um, yellow slash oranges color, but it was thirteen feet up in the air, and I said, "Wow, that must have been mama or daddy." He was like, "Dude." Whatever that was, was huge. He said, I couldn't see the shape of it. He said, but I could see the eye shine. He was like, as far away as I was, those eyes looked huge. He said, so I just backed back into the house. I said, what was your dog doing? 
He said, my dog had been barking prior to this. He said, when I got back in the house, the dog was under the bed, pretty much pissing on the floor. So, um, closes the door and he's like, all right, I'm going to leave these things alone. They leave me alone. So for the longest time, you know, they were on his property and with the exception of, um, his dog going out, like, you know, he wake up in the morning, have your coffee, you want to let your dog out yeah. to use the bathroom. There would be days where his dog would just take off running through the woods and kind of hang out and come back. And there were other days where his dog wouldn't leave out of the house. And that's how he knew they were in the area based on the reaction of his dog. But just recently, and I'm telling you, condensing something that's happened over four years for you. Just recently, he came home. There were um, sheriff's deputies and I guess, um, I, I guess you call it fish a game or, or whatever the other kind of woods, outdoors police are on his property. He found his dog dead, blood everywhere on the property, dog dead. No blood on the dog. That's a crazy thing. No blood on his dog but blood all over his property, his back door to his house open. Um, the authorities out there with their guns drawn. Uh, and he, he just walked up to the seams like, what the hell is going on? And so I need to, I need to talk to him tonight to find out a little bit more about it. Um, but that's one dog man story that, you know, if you go back and listen on my YouTube channel, it's called right. dog man and the handlers. I actually have an interview with him where he talks about everything that transpired there. And there's a lot more to it than that. I'm just giving you the synopsis of it and summing it up for you. So, yeah, people are having these encounters with Dogman. And some of them are horrific, horrifying encounters. Another one is that just happened recently was in Fort Pierce, Florida. A young man named Blue, um, he's on Facebook Live, Gary. Like, he's literally on Facebook Live talking uh -huh. to his friends. And he's sitting there saying, man, y'all think I'm, as he's calling it cat. Cap is a slang for lying. So he's like, y'all think I'm capping? They got some weird S going on around my property. Man, this effed up, blah, 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 blah. Homeboy opens his back door, turns his camera around on his phone, and literally catches this thing running across the yard. Wow. On, live on camera. And people, I, I tell you, people have been telling me, oh, that's fake, that's fraud. And I'm like, dude, are y'all idiots? This is Facebook Alive. Like, he's live on Facebook when this is happening. And I put it on my YouTube channel. It's called Elusive Dog Man Caught on Caught on Tape or Captured on Film, right? right. It's a whole 30-minute video because I wanted people to understand dog man encounters and in, 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 in these type of, type of scary encounters, you need to not only know what happened, but you have to go through the process of understanding psychologically what happens to that person after they've seen something that completely changes the context of their beliefs. You know, most people don't believe Bigfoot is real. They don't believe they're werewolves. They don't believe there's giant octopuses in the sea. You know, they don't believe that there's uh, spiritual beings that the size of buildings that are spiritual entities that wrap themselves around buildings and actually possess that structure, right? They don't believe this stuff. So once their context changes, once your understanding of the world changes, you rapidly go through this process of denial, denial, acceptance, acceptance, back to denial to, okay, maybe I'm crazy. To finally you come to the point to where you completely accept it. And now you're like, all right, I know I saw something. And that video is the perfect example of what a true witness goes through. That's why I uploaded it to my channel. Cause I wanted people to see that's exactly the psychological process that a person who's encountered something strange or weird, whether it be dog, man, Bigfoot, 
a 12 foot shadow man. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter what it is. That's the process you go through. Right. And so that's how, you know, if someone's telling you the truth or not, because when it comes to dog, man, there's so many lies out there that if you don't understand how to filter out the truth from the lie, um, it destroys the, the subject matter. Right. So, um, long story short, he is opening the door, turns the camera around and this is how fast this thing moves within the two seconds on the frame of the camera, you see it running. You can see the hotches. You know, people talk about how a dog standing on his hind legs mm-hmm. and how this, this kind of backward knees, you see that moving, you see it stop look in his direction and take off running again before he slams the door saying, Oh, hell no. Slams the door. And like, Am I tripping y'all? Did y'all see that? Am I tripping? Come on, man. Am I tripping? I might, I might be losing my mind, right? Now he's going, he's trying to get validation of what he saw. He's trying to get somebody to, to comfort him because in his mind, he's like, I'm in this house by myself. Y'all on this camera with me, but I'm still here by myself. And I need to know what I'm seeing. And he goes through that entire process. Um, that area has had multiple dog man encounters, like multiple in that, in that area. And I've been doing some extensive talking and research in that area with other people. And so more and more and more people have seen it. Um, he ended up going on two TV shows on a travel channel. I, I can't remember the name of them, but one of them is like a caught on tape or caught on film or something right, like that. Yeah. Um, and showing his photographic evidence of the dog man, because he has literal pictures where he just, this is how crazy it is. Imagine you open your back door broad daylight. You're sitting there smoking a cigarette outside your back door, sitting in a chair, and you feel like something's watching you from the tree line. Now, this is where he's smarter than me. He says, James, you know, I, I just decided I was going to start taking pictures. So I started snapping pictures of the tree line. He's like, but I was doing it. Cause I knew something was there, but I, I could feel it, but I didn't want it to know I was taking pictures. So I just started snapping pictures kind of discreetly and went inside and started looking at the pictures. And this is what I found. So he sent me a series of pictures. I had them copyright them so nobody could steal them, but he sent me a series of pictures and you can see the dog man standing there. You see the pointy ears, the snout, you can see one eye, which is this gigantic, it looks like a yellow flower. But as you zoom in, you see the eye, you see the nose, you see the snout, you see the ear, you see the other ear where it's kind of coming from behind the tree. But through the series of pictures, you see it stepping from behind the tree, moving out into the open. You see it kind of showing its teeth, teeth, and then you see it stepping back into the shadows where you can't see it through a series of photos. And I'm like, whoa, dude, it's like Jurassic Park around your house. A couple of days later, he and I are talking and he's he calls me. He says, man. I got to talk to you. I'm like, what's up? He's like, dude, I got to be tripping because there's something else out there. So he snaps some more pictures, sends me photos. I don't see anything originally. He's like, no, you know, you got to zoom in. So I still don't see anything. He's like, all right, let me zoom in and I'm going to circle it. He has this, you can clearly see this Bigfoot face. When I say this face is huge, Mm -hmm. you see the forehead, the nose, like this gigantic, you know how they make fun of black people and say black people got big noses. This thing nose looked like it was doing push-ups. That's how big the nose was, right? You got the chin, you got the jaw, you could see it all. This the eyes which are set back into the sockets of the head. And I'm like, dude, you need to move. And he says, Man, I'm not moving my rent too cheap. I'm not going nowhere. We're gonna have to share this space. 
I'm like, Blue, you crazy. You lost your mind. And he's still there. I mean, he's literally still there, right? To this day, he's still there. He ain't doing Facebook Live no more. Bigfoot and dog man. Now, this is how deep this goes. The video went viral, right? Partly due to me, partly because of Facebook. It hits the news and local news. The wildlife and fisheries or whatever they're called, go there. Go meet with him. Go walk around the area, right? They get the footage. They get the photos. They analyze it. The guy comes back and says, well, yep, you definitely caught something on camera. There's no doubt about that. We're not sure what it is. That's the first conversation. Guy goes back into the area again, kind of walks around looking for prints. A couple of days later, calls him back. Well, you have some kind of unknown primate in the area. We're not sure what it is, but it's definitely an unknown primate. So he's got confirmation that something Mm -hmm. weird and freaky is going on over there. Um, But it's happening all around the United States. I mean, it really is. People are having these encounters. Um, I would say some of the worst ones are based on people actually assaulting these creatures. Um, You know, you're out in the woods and you're a hunter and you see something weird and you decide the best thing to do is take a shot at it. Those people get followed home. They get terrorized. Um, I know one guy had the hood of his car literally stumped on. Um, it wasn't his car. It was his truck. A nice uh-huh. King Ranch F-150 came out. In the, he heard it at night. He heard the stumping and the noise at night, but he was half woke, half sleep. came out the next morning. Like it, He said it looked like an elephant had been stumping on the hood of his mm-hmm. car. And then it's his windshield. It like it just climbed up on the hood of his truck and started stumping, stumped the windshield, stumped the top, stumped all the way across, and then went on about his business. That's crazy. And I was like, man, I mean, yeah, crazy stuff. Urinated all in the truck. I mean, urinated all through the broken windshield, like crazy stuff, dude. So when I talk to people about Dogman, and um, I tell people all the time, it's great for entertainment. It really is. If you want to be scared, listen to some of my Dogman stuff. But if you decide you're one of those guys that's like, I want to hunt this and I want to see it for myself, I want to know if it's real, you're making the biggest mistake humanly possible. Like you're making the biggest mistake you could ever make. It's the equivalent of saying, I don't believe in great white sharks, so I'm going to go where great white sharks are and I'm going to dive in the water without a cage. And guess what happens? You're going to get eaten. And that's what happens when people run out to the woods being dumb, you know. I tell them all the time, play stupid games, get stupid prizes. Right. So that's dog man in a nutshell. So My advice is more, leave that alone. He's way more aggressive than a Bigfoot then. Oh, hell like, like yeah. I've never way heard more being aggressive. attacked by Bigfoot. Well, I've heard of people being attacked by Bigfoot, but I also heard of people being saved by Bigfoot. Right. But it's nowhere near this level. Like, I remember talking to a guy who um, had Bigfoot on his property, and he, again, he assaulted these Bigfoots. The, the whole story is this. He had a trailer on his property where his um, his sister and her boyfriend were living. He had his own house and he had a septic tank that he had dug up and he had it open and he was trying to get it cleaned out, right? right. His sister's there alone. She's taking a shower and kind of feels like something's watching her. When she looks out the window, she sees this gigantic hairy man face looking in the window, freaks out, right? Then she's trapped in his trailer. The trailer's shaking. Things pull it on the door, but it goes away. She calls her brother, and by the time he gets there, it's gone. 
over the next couple of days, it comes back and forth messing with that trailer. It's like stealing chickens, doing all kinds of stuff. So him and his brother decided they're going to go out there and they're going to try and kill this Bigfoot. Biggest mistake on the planet. Go out, take shots, don't hit it, don't do nothing, but just shooting at these things. Well, he ends up being there alone one evening, nobody around, and he starts to hear this whooping and tree knocking and then tree breaking and limbs breaking and getting closer and closer. And these things start to chase him. And the only way he got away from him was he dived into a septic tank. He literally dove into an open septic tank and laid in his own poo. And this is the crazy thing. He's in his own septic tank and they're standing over him, looking at him, kind of covering their noses like, oh, and then they turn around and walk off. And I had warned him before him and his brother went talking about they was going to hunt him. I said, man, that's the biggest mistake you can make. That's literally the biggest mistake you can make. I said, the thing was a little bit horny. Your sister was naked in the shower. Saw your sister. Whoop the woo. It's okay. It's not going to do nothing, right? Just, you know, if you're worried about it, just tell her she needs to go stay somewhere else. But no, he wants to be Billy Bad behind. And that's what ended up happening to him. He's still there. Um, I think they've migrated away from there now and moved on. Um, But like I warned him, I said, man, you know, they have migration patterns. They'll be back at some point in time. I said, you just need to be mindful of they're in the area and they transverse that area. So yeah, there've been aggressive Bigfoot encounters, but nothing anywhere near the level that Dogman does from chasing cars uh-huh. to um, one of my favorite stories is, came from this young lady, her and her husband were in the car and she told the story. They're riding down the highway and they see this this um, upright walking wolf walking into the tree line. Like imagine you're in the passenger side, I'm in the driver's side, off up and on an angle, about a 45 degree angle, about 50 yards away. This thing is walking into the tree line. Like it had no reason to turn around mm-hmm. and come back towards them. Well, it sees the car, turns around, drops down all fours, on all fours and starts running back towards the car. Like literally coming after them. And they were in like a Toyota Corolla, like some ridiculous little small car, uh-huh. freaking out, pedaled to the metal, trying to speed past this thing. And um, the way she described it, she was like, you know, as it was coming towards the car, it cut off, like it cut and took an angle where it angled itself off the back bumper. She's like, but it was moving so fast that it slowed down enough to make eye contact with me and then shoot off the back bumper. It was like it wanted to run them off the road, but it didn't want to hit the car. It wanted to scare them enough to run them off the road, but they didn't freak out. They were able to keep control of the car and keep on going. She's like, but had it, you know, made a swerve or hit a tree or something, you don't tell them what would have happened to us. So you have those kind of encounters all around the United States. I mean, literally all around the United States when it comes to dog, man. And I tell people, you know, that's the last thing you want to run into. I'd rather deal with a shadow person. I'd rather deal with a, a possessed person spitting green pea soup than deal with a dog man. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I'd rather deal with the exorcist girl herself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Than deal with that. Do you, do you, th- you think the dog man is just like a wild animal? Or do you think it has like some human qualities to it where it's intelligent and thinking and planning? Oh, no, it's definitely got a level of intelligence that's beyond what um, people would expect it to have. Um, just from its stalking capability, decision-making, um, 
it's definitely more intelligent than most people would give it credit for. Um, human-like characteristics, if you mean like the ability to reason yeah. as opposed to just being a pure kind of predator where it's like, oh, I'm hungry and I'm just going to eat. No, no, these things have the ability to reason. They have 100% have the ability to reason. Now, if you hear somebody telling you, I heard dog man talks, you just go ahead and give them the number to, you know, the nearest psychiatric hospital and check them in, right? Right. Um, but if someone says, I saw a dog, man, and it looked at me and it gave me this look, kind of like a look of disgust, or it gave me this smirk or this frown or this kind of tilted his head and looked at me kind of like I was crazy. Yeah, that those are the signs of the level of intelligence that this creature has. Like it's mentally processing you as that individual. It's not seeing you as prey necessarily it's seeing you as an individual and it's making a decision as to whether it's going to terrorize you and follow you home, whether it's going to scare you, whether it wants to even be bothered with you. Because there's been times where hunters have shared stories with me where they've uh, been like up in trees and um, waiting for hogs to come by and take a shot at a hog and um, get ready to get down from the tree to go get their hog climbing down from a tree and they'll see a dog man walk out, literally walk out of some like thick thickets where they, a human being wouldn't be able to come from, kind of look at him like I'm taking that hog. Not necessarily saying it, but kind of looking like this is mine. You need to get another one. Just look like what you're going to do <laughs> and then go and take the hog, throw it over his shoulder and go about his business. And it will tell you, man, it looked at me like, dude, you're not getting this hog. This is mine. And he took their hog and went about their business. What do you do? What you know? I tell him, well, what did you do? Man, I went and got my behind in a truck and went home. And I hadn't been back there since. There was another guy who shared a story with me. He was out deer hunting. And I'm from New Orleans. We don't really, I don't really do a whole bunch of outdoor stuff. The most I'll do is some fishing. But um, he was like, man, you know, when you shoot a buck, if you don't hit it right, it's going to run. And now you got to track it down. You know what I'm saying? If you don't just drop it, yeah. it's going to take off running. He was like, well, I got a bad shot. This thing took off running. He's like, so now I'm trying to track the blood trail of this, this uh, deer. So I tracked the trail and then the blood trail stops, but it's like, you know, it's like there's this pool of blood, but there's no deer where the deer should be. There's a pool of blood, right? He's like, it should be there. Well, he turns around, starts walking away, but looks back over his shoulder. That deer is up in the tree just laid up in a tree hmm. starts looking around other trees guess what else is up in a tree dog man's another another tree about 45 yards away just sitting up in a tree looking at him and i said dude what did you do he said man i got the hell out of there as quick as i could and he said i told her i said hey that's your deer i'm gone i don't know what you is but if you want that deer you can have it take it <laughs> he was like i had my hands up it was funny because he was like bro I put my hands up. He said, I didn't point my weapon. He said, I had my weapon up in there. I said, listen, that's your deal. If you want it, you can have it. I'll get another one. And he said, man, <laughs> I backed out of that and went on about my business. And that's the smart thing to do. You know, I wouldn't, you know, if he would have told me, yeah, you know, I took a shot at it and, and, uh, and said, this is my deal. I'd be like, man, you lying. Cause there's no way you're going to see this thing up in a tree not even knowing that it was watching you the whole time and then decide you're going to shoot at it. Cause it could have been gotcha if it wanted to get you. Uh -huh. It just wanted the deer. So yeah, there's been plenty of oh, plenty old dog man stories that I've been told by people. And then I've had crazy stories. Like 
um, people, and this is how, you know, some of the people are mentally like ill. That's the only way to put it, you know, not being politically correct. You're crazy. Uh-huh. You know, you something's wrong with you. And they'll tell you, I saw a dog man, but then it morphed into a pig and, um, and then it morphed back into a dog man. Then it walked off. And then the next day I saw it jump my fence and it had a, a, a belt on with a knife and like, dude, what you been smoking, man? Like, what are you on? You know? So, <laughs> um, but it, the, you got to take the good with the bad because you're talking to people and you're talking to the public. So I get some crazy weirdos, man. You know, get some real weirdos. That um, happens. Yeah, but I love doing it. I love talking to people about their encounters, whether it be Dogman, Bigfoot, ghosts, demons. I Nowadays, about, um, I don't have a problem with talking to people. How about Nightcrawler? With demonically. Nightcrawler. What it's, do you mean by that, Nightcrawler? It's like those little stick guys. You ever see those? They get captured on um, security cameras a lot. And it's this weird stick-looking creature. Are you talking about like a like a black shadow that's thin like a stick man? Kind of, but usually they're kind of whitish. almost like glow. You mean like the rake thing that people have been talking about? Yes. I haven't, yeah, yes. I, I yes. haven't had That's anybody right. tell me anything about that. No. The closest, no, no, never. No, nobody's ever told me anything about I know what you're talking about. Like that thing that they have the photo of, and it's kind of like on all fours, and it's freaky, and it's crawling around. No, nobody's ever told me anything about a night crawler. Um I've had skinwalker stories from Native Americans. Uh-huh. I've had real Wendigo stories, which um, I don't know how to, I don't know if I should go into that because that's real Native American stuff that will get me in trouble. But just know that Wendigos are the final evolution of a person who was a skinwalker. And uh, the best way to put it without telling the, telling everything is, each our human body, right? You know, contains a soul, whether people believe in God or not, you know, your body has a soul, right? right. Um, just like people who are demonically possessed, this is the perfect example. So imagine yourself as like a jar, right? And inside that jar is water and that water is your soul. When you become possessed, something empties out some of that water and then Imagine someone mixing oil and water into that jar and filling it up. So now it's half water, half oil, right? That's that entity inside of you, all right? Um, Well, as that water is pushed out, all right, because the soul radiates energy. and But as that water is pushed out and this entity takes over, it radiates as well. And over time, the that radiating energy from that entity starts to break down and wear down that human body. And eventually the only thing left is this human body that's barely alive or dead, but that entity is still there. And an entity is control of that and control of that body. That's what your Wendigo is. I've had real Wendigo stories, like real crazy, scary, oh my God <laughs> type stories. <laughs> like what the hell are you talking about? Where did you find that at? Um, and to me, that's one of the more terrifying things because you have to understand us as individuals 
Um, like me, I have, I'm 43 years old. I have a lot of gray hairs and people don't understand. Like people see my dad and be like, man, you got more gray hairs than your dad, but they don't understand what I do from a spiritual aspect. Because when you, remember we talked about spiritual warfare, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Well, in order to defend yourself spiritually, your, that jar, which is your soul, has to be super energetic. So you have to pray a lot. You have to not meditate. I pray a whole lot daily. And so now you, it's like you're increasing this. Some people in the witchy world call it their aura, their feel, their bubble is a way to describe it. But for me, it's, you increase that spiritual energy, which deflects and protects you, right? But at the same time, our body's only meant to to maintain at a certain level, uh-huh. right? You know, our body is, you know, as human beings, we die and we transmit our soul upward to a different place or downward to a lower dimension, upward to a higher dimension, heaven, hell, whatever you want to call it, is either you're going to a higher dimension or a lower dimension, right? Well, in the case of, people who deal with real spiritual work, hoodoo, voodoo practitioners. If you ever watch the videos of voodoo and hoodoo practitioners, you'll notice that they have these white, um, these white kind of scarves covering their head, right? Right. And part of the reason why they do that is because they understand the spiritual energy that's going on and they don't want their hair to gray or they don't want their hair to fall out. If you find, when you find real voodoo practitioners, you're going to notice they don't have a bunch of hair. Like they, mm. they don't have a full head of hair. Their bodies don't really look like super duper vibrant and bright and glowing because all of that pulls at you and it pulls that energy and you're manipulating energy and magnetic forces um, with your body and with your words and with your intention. So it takes a physical effect on you and a physical toll on you. And I'm really getting into how you know if someone's telling you the truth and how you know if you're dealing with real people or kind of fake people. Uh-huh. When you come to New Orleans and you go to the voodoo shops, go through the shops and then look at the shop owner. And if it's somebody who's all young and vibrant and blah, 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 be like, well, I want to meet the real owner. Because that ain't the person <laughs> who own it. If they really practice hoodoo or voodoo, you're going to see them. They don't look like a corpse, but they look like, man, this person's been through something. Because they're dealing in the spiritual realm. Um What's this lady's name? She has a shop on Rampart Street. I'm looking at this lady's face. She's cool as all outdoors. What's her name? Can't remember her name. If you go in her shop and you meet her, go through the door. She's got this huge, gigantic dog. Her dog is kind of her demonic radar, right? Uh If you walk in that door and that dog starts barking, you got something attached to you, period. I done been in there talking to her. When somebody walk in the door and a dog start growling and barking and running the person out of the door, right? And I asked her, I said, uh, Sally Ann Glassman is her name. There it just came to me. Been all she's been in the news as like one of the top witches in the world. Like you can look, I think maybe Times Magazine or the New York Times. Like that's how real deal she is for voodoo. But if you look at Sally and you look at her body, you'll see where what she does has kind of had an effect on her. You know what I'm saying? Not necessarily in a negative way. She also beat cancer, but at the same time, you could see where it had an effect on Sally. Cool person, great person. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? I wouldn't cross her for nothing in the world, and I wouldn't advise you to cross her, but you can see where it had an effect on her. And the other ones who practice, you can see where it had an effect on them. There's another person named Bloody Mary. Mary Mylan's the name. Cool as they come. She always invites me to her seances. I never go because I don't believe in doing seances. 
if she has a paranormal conventions, I'll go and speak and talk. And it may just be me, her and nine other or 10 other people. Uh Um, but when you look at Mary, you'll see the same thing. You know, you can see it. It's not, it's visible. And you know, they they actually deal, they do what's called spirit work. When I started this, I didn't really realize I was going to be doing spiritual work. You know, Gary, I was like, okay, I'm just going to tell these people stories. But over time, you start getting attacked, you know how to defend yourself. And then now you get to the point to where you run across someone who doesn't know they have something attached to them, but you know, because you're talking to them. And then you say, okay, like the young lady I talked to just recently, um, she works at a cigar shop that I go to frequently. Anybody who knows me knows I love smoking cigars. I was smoking one before the plane started interrupting us earlier. <laughs> and she says, um, she says, you know, when I was a kid, I think I had an alien encounter. I'm like, oh, okay, really? You know, she's like, you know, you do the paranormal stuff. I was like, yeah, tell me about it. So she starts telling me about this glowing light that looked like a head in the corner of a room. And she left her room, went to her brother's room, and it fell into her brother's room. Then she left her brother's room, went to her dad's room, and laid in the bed. And she felt this thing kind of rub on her face. And then she got scared, and um, it went away. But when it went away, her dad jumped up in the bed like something had grabbed him, right? I'm like, okay, mm, that could be an ET encounter, right? So then I started questioning her more, questioning her more and asking her more questions, saying, okay, well, tell me what else happened. So she says, well, even as an adult now, I'm scared of the dark. I'm like, okay. And then she says, you know, like for real, like I won't be in a dark room. Like if the power goes out, I'm leaving the house. I'm like, well, that's not normal. You know, that's, that's nothing normal about that. And so I start, I just say, Hey, do you have night terrors? She says, well, what do you mean? I say, well, when you're laying in the bed at night, do you feel like something's climbing in the bed with you? Or do you wake up with this feeling like someone had pulled your spine and treated it like a guitar string where like you wake up and there's this vibration going through your body. Like it vibrates from the foot, your feet to your head. And she was like, yeah, how do you know about that? I said, that's not, you don't have an alien encounter. You have some kind of demonic thing messing with you. And she's like, well, how do you know? I said, cause I've been through it and that was something demonic. I said, that's not an alien. And so I offered to pray with her. So she said, sure, you know, I'll pray with you. And before I, I start to pray with her, I said, well, do you practice any Wicca? Do you do any kind of magic? She was like, no, but I, I was told I was a witch because I was born on such and such day. And I said, well, you do realize in order to be a witch, you have to make a decision. I said, it's not like you're just born on a day and now you're a witch. I said, you have to decide that lifestyle of practicing Wicca. And I said, you have to decide, decide, you know, what entity you're going to serve and all the rest of this. I said, did you make any decisions? She's like, no, you know, my, my dad just told me I was a witch because of the day I was born. I said, so your whole life, you've thought you were a witch because of some stupid part of my language crap your dad said. She's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's just messed up. <laughs> so listen to this. We're literally in the cigar shop. It's me, her, the dog, and the owner in the back. And I walk over, close the little back door where the owner and the dog is, and I start praying for her. Halfway through the prayer, her eyes kind of not changed. Not like her eyes became black, but you know how a person's demeanor changes? Yes. And she goes from kind of being like those tears welling up in her eyes, like she's about to cry to looking angry. And she says, you need to leave. And I'm like, Oh, this is whatever this thing is talking. To me. I was like, okay, I'll leave. I'm going to give me my cigars. And like, no, you need to leave. Now I'm like, no, you're going to give me my cigars. Cause they're on the side of the counter. And then I'm going to leave. So I get my cigars. I go to the car and I 
sit there and I start praying more because whatever it is, I'm like, all right, this thing might be mad that I tried to help her. So I need to deal with this now. And I'm really praying for myself, but also her. Cause I'm like, I don't want this thing following me home. So, and I don't live too far from here. So I'm praying for her. But I'm there about 10 minutes. I got the cigar lit. I'm praying. The windows kind of cracked. She comes walking out of the building. Now there's no way this woman knows that I was praying for her because I am no longer anywhere near her. She comes out, knocks on the window, stop praying for me. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is that thing. And I'm not rolling the window down, bro. Cause I'm like, just, she might try and stab me. Don't tell her what's going to happen. And I was like, well, you probably should go inside. It's cool. I'm going to leave you alone. She starts walking back towards that door and she puts her hand on the door to open. You know, I have that, not like the bar that you open a door, but like the kind of rectangular handle yeah. where you kind of grab it from the side is what it has. She puts her hand. I see her fingers go behind that rectangle and she goes to pull and then she collapses on her hands and her knees and she starts crying again. And I'm like, Oh Lord, God done did something. I'm like, this is crazy. And so I'm still not getting out of the car cause I don't know what's going on with her. She gets back up and she starts pulling at the door again. And then the dog comes rushing out and it's kind of barking and growling at her, like, like, like kind of going crazy. And then next thing you know, it just starts licking on her, like licking on her face, licking all on her ears, like coming around in front of her, licking on her. And she comes back over to the car. Like she gathers herself. She comes back over to the car and she says, what did you do? Because I feel like, like some kind of boulder or a tree was lifted off my shoulders. I said, I didn't do anything. God did it. Right. And so we start talking about, does she have a Bible, all the rest of the stuff. And I'm explaining to her that, you know, in, in black communities before the community, before all the rap music took over and Satanism in our community. And when I was a kid, when you went into people's houses, there was always an open Bible in the house. And as a young kid, like nine, eight, nine years old, I remember there being like two foot long Bibles and people like when you open them up, they was two feet wide, like these big, huge Bibles. But they were all, always open in people's houses. And I said, well, you really need to have a Bible. You need to have it open in your house at all times. And I said, you need to read it. She was like, well, I don't have one. And I said, okay, so I'm going to go get you one. This is a long story, but I want everybody to understand. So I go buy her a Bible. I get her some of the Psalms from the Bible that she can use for protection. Stick it in there. Go back. Um, this, is, this is a day or two later. Go back. She's not there. The other chick's there that works there. And I'm like, where's Red? Because I call her Red because she's got red hair. She's like, well, she's been sick and she hasn't been feeling well. And she said she doesn't want to work and she won't be back until next weekend. I said, okay, well, um, here's my number. Give her my number and tell me, tell her to call me because I have something for her. And she hasn't called yet, but I have that Bible in my glove compartment. And I've been going every day trying to find her so I can give it to her because I know what's going on with the young lady. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I know exactly what's going on with them. So, I don't know why I told you that story. I lost track. But the whole purpose is um, understanding that we are spiritual entities having a physical experience on this planet is the most important thing. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Because when I was a younger man, I got caught up into the cars and the pretty women. And man, Gary, I can tell you some things I did that you would be like, dude, I can't believe you did that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'll believe um, it. <laughs> <laughs> Like it was crazy. And you, you kind of get caught up in those things. And next thing you know, you actually pick up these, these, I call them, um, I call them Uber riders, like these little passengers that ride along with you. And over time, as you mature, 
And I think it's a part of the growth process of, you know, growing up as a human being, and it's through the life cycle, you're going to pick up those things and you should shed those things off of you because normally the older you get, kind of the more spiritual and conservative you get, you're younger, you're kind of wild and free yeah. and blah, blah, blah. As you progress and get older, naturally those things are supposed to fall away from you. And by the time you, you know, it's like most of the meanest people, by the time they're 70 years old, they're the most spiritual people because they're getting close to dying and they're worrying about what's going to happen next, right? It's kind of that natural progression. Somewhere along the line, some people kind of get uh, short-circuited and they miss that progression and they have these things that follow them and things that attach to them and they never get rid of them. And those people end up being miserable. They really do. Yeah, that's terrible for them. No, it's horrible for them. Yeah. And I just, but it's where people like you and I come in, um, especially in, in times like today where there's so much chaos and fear and, you know, 10 years ago, we were the kooks, right? We were crazy yeah, right? people, you know? <laughs> we ain't so kooky right now, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We ain't too crazy right now. I got regular people who's like, yo, dude, you told me something about, you know, these shadow people five years ago. I thought you was crazy, but like my daughter's telling me she's seeing these shadows. And I was like, that's because, you know, the world is consumed by fear right now and there's no spiritual balance. So all kind of stuff is running loose out here in these streets yeah, that you would changing. never see. The world is definitely changing. You know, I talk, I talk to a lot yeah. of people. A lot of the people I talk to say that uh, there's a dimensional shift going on. And the chaos that's going on is what part of that shift. That? Um, they say that the, uh, like, like, you know how you said, like, like, like when we die, we either, we either go up a frequency or down. Well, there, right. these are people that say that, like, we don't have to die to experience that as living beings. Everybody on the earth is experiencing this raise of frequency. It is a natural raise. But what's happening is uh, those entities that are vibrating at a lower frequency are fighting back against this change. Oh, I get what they're saying. And, and you know, that makes a lot of sense. There's the philosophy of the fourth turning. Are you familiar with that? No. So the fourth turning is basically over the history of time, there have been scholars who study um, how societies and how um, nations rise and fall. And the one thing that's common in the fourth turning is that men fall away from their spiritual beliefs in God. Um, not paganism, but Satanism and Luciferianism rise to the, the highest peak that they'll ever rise to. Um, murder, sacrifice, all kind of wild, crazy stuff starts to happen. And then there's destruction of the existing system um, mm -hmm. that's in, in place right now. You can see the existing system that we live in right now being destroyed, but it's intentionally yeah. being destroyed by people on purpose. You see the Federal Reserve coming out talking about they want to get rid of cash because cash carries coronavirus, which is the dumbest thing on the planet because people have been using cash since December. And if that was the case, then what we... <laughs> That, that just makes no damn sense at all anyway. But um, you see that cycle happening and they're right. 
during that cycle, those lower entities thrive. And it's mainly because of the fear that's ushered in in society. Think about what's going on right now. The entire, not just the United States, the entire planet is afraid. Probably for one of the first times ever that on a massive scale, the entire planet has been afraid of something. I mean, and it's synchronized fear. So you can only imagine what kind of things are feeding off of that fear. I tell people all the time, if you're dealing with something dark and demonic, the number one thing you got to do is stop being afraid. And people say, well, how do you stop being afraid? I say, you pray because you can't win that fight. So you have all this fear all over the planet. So yeah, those lower um, entities are rising. At the same time, you have people who are waking up to the truth about things that have gone on for years that they didn't realize was happening. So I think they're 100% right. There's a massive spiritual awakening going on, and then there's a kind of a spiritual coup and counter coup going on right, right now. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I, I, yeah. I, it just makes sense to me. I, I believe it, you know, because one of the things that kind of goes along with that, like, you know, how this change was supposed to happen in 2012, you know, and everybody, we all sort of sat around and said, huh. Nothing happens, you know, but right. I, th I think maybe it did happen, but it's gradual, at least to our perception. I don't think nothing happened in 2012. I ain't seen none of this drama in 2012. I ain't seen no drama like this um, until four years ago. And it's been off the chain since. And I don't think it's going to change anytime soon in this country because this country is fighting for its life right now um with forces that are global forces that want to destroy america and you can see it you can see it in a race division you can see it in the nonsensical arguments that people are having here for me locally as a black person talking to other black people uh -huh. that are angry about stuff that makes no sense whatsoever uh -huh. it's insane i mean i've never seen people upset that can't articulate what they're upset about they cannot articulate the anger it's almost it's almost at the possession level for me it's like dude what are you talking about what you're saying makes no sense whatsoever so something's going on yeah it's um, affecting everybody it's affecting everybody yeah. and some people it's waking them up other people it's literally pissing them off and making them completely irrational and stupid like on yeah. levels of stupidity that yeah. don't probably never existed before yeah, and they can't they don't they, they can't even see it or understand it themselves. They're just blinded by it. Mm -hmm. They're just blinded by rage. Yeah. Um and I'll tell you the, the out of all the things that I talk to people about, I started talking about this when I very first started the Dark Waters channel, the human trafficking. I started talking about that. That was one of my first eight videos. People couldn't handle it then. Because um, when I first started this, I wanted true stories. So I started emailing friends of mine to get their stories. And my email, my email list at that point in time was just like, I think it was like 4,000 people. Uh -huh. So I just emailed them and said, hey, this is my new venture. I'm doing this. If you have any kind of paranormal stories, anything weird or freaky you want to tell me, tell me. And there were two private military contractors that I've known. I didn't even know they were military contractors as a kid. Uh, I didn't even know what that was. Uh, I mean, but they've been doing this stuff for a long time. And they were the first ones to tell me about kidnapped children um, around the world. And 
I did a story about a young lady who had been kidnapped that they had a lot to do with saving that was on University of uh, Ole Miss campus in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And then I did another story about some kids and then people was like, oh, this is too graphic. This is too this. And I was like, well, maybe that's just too real for them. But it's real stories, you know. But I think the most disturbing thing over the years has been the the guys who actually work in the field of dealing with kidnapped kids and kidnapped adults and abused women and abused children that shared their stories with me. Um, those have been some of the, the most disturbing things I've ever heard. And just to, to hear that kind of stuff is what kind of woke me up to everything that was going on. It's one thing to kind of watch a news story where they say, oh, they found 65 kids somewhere in the basement of a house. It's another thing for a guy you know to say, hey, man, you know, we just left from Georgia and we got 13 kids that were tied up inside uh, of a, a shipping container. Like, wait, you did what? Yeah, we got 13 of them. What happened to the guy who had them? Well, he ain't around no more. That's all you need to know. That kind of stuff. So those are the things that um, – and when you talk about true spiritual warfare, when you talk about true evil, I tell people this all the time, evil targets children, evil targets the weak, evil never targets strong people, right? And that's how you know you really get into the heart of evil. When you have something messing with your kids or messing with your, um, your, your mentally kind of, uh, I don't know, mentally retarded kid. People don't like the word retarded anymore, but it's in the dictionary. A kid who's mentally retarded and they're being targeted by something spiritual yeah. or by an individual who has something spiritually inside of them. Uh -huh. That's how you know what true evil is. You know, you find evil by watching its targets. And um, those are the things I want people to really be conscious of and be aware of. Your kid is at home and they said, oh, I have an invisible friend. You know, he's the neighbor. My neighbor comes by. Well, you need, you got to deal with that. You know, you really need to deal with that immediately. Don't sit there and assume, oh, my child has an imaginary friend. You need to tell your child there's no such thing as imaginary friends. And I don't know who it is you're talking to, but they need to go. Don't mm -hmm. even, you know, don't even play them kind of games, you know, ever. Mm -hmm. My goddaughter <clears throat> in Texas. She is three years old, but when she became my goddaughter, I just took all the rest of the, the other three kids as like my godchildren too. <laughs> so my goddaughter, the the nine year old, we're uh, at a a barbecue. She's sitting on my lap and she says, uh, "Paran, <clears throat> I've been seeing this man that comes to our house, and he says he's my friend." And I'm like, "Well, what do you mean he comes to your house?" Well, he'll just come in my room at night and he says he's my friend and he wants to talk to me. I say, well, what does he want to talk to you about? And he'll just talk to me about my day. And I told my mom and dad and they said, it's my imaginary friend. I said, darling, let me tell you something. I said, there's no imaginary friends. <clears throat> I said, whatever that is, I said, you don't need to be talking to it. And I said, you don't need to be communicating with it. If it comes in your room, you need to tell it to leave. If it wants to stay, you need to tell it it needs to leave. I said, if it doesn't want to leave, I want you to tell it, leave in the name of Jesus Christ, right? We at that barbecue, I tell her that. <clears throat> I come back to Louisiana, don't see her for a while. We go, we go on vacation in Florida because, you know, this coronavirus is going on. <clears throat> Everybody's scared to go. I want my kids to have a vacation. I'm like, the hell with that. If we going to die, we going to die. We going to Destin. <laughs> Wonderful vacation. We hanging out hanging out by the pool, me, the old lady, the kids, my son just flirting with girls. I'm like, that woman is, that's not a girl. That's a woman. Stop talking to her, boy. You 14. That, 
that woman is like 18, sit down, you know, we're going back and forth. It's crazy, right? And so um, my goddaughter and uh, her family end up coming to Destin. So they come by our resort. We're all sitting at the pool. She climbs, sits up on my lap and is talking to me. I was like, Paul Rand. I'm like, yes, darling. Um, he stopped coming when I told him, leave in the name of Jesus. And I said, do you know why? And she's like, nope, but it worked. I said, because he wasn't supposed to be in there in the first place. I said, and you rebuked them. She's like, what's the rebuke? So I explained it all to her, right? She goes tell her parents. Her mom is like, why are you telling my daughter? So dad's like, listen, he knows exactly what he's talking about. And I appreciate you telling her that because I was worried about that. I said, yeah, I don't know what that was. I said, but you don't want that around her. And I don't want it around her. And if it would have kept on going, then I would have had to come back to Texas, go to the house, spend the night and figure out what it is so we can deal with it. Hmm. So for us in this realm, those of us who are believers, I call it kind of the conspiratorium realm where we believe in things that most people don't believe in. We have to be accountable and responsible to the knowledge that we have. If you know that there's a chance that that exists, then don't sit there and ignore it. You have to be responsible for that. So if your kid is saying something's targeting them, then you need to deal with it. If your child is being bullied at school, you will be amazed at what prayer will do for bullying. It'll stop it in its tracks because a lot of times those kids that are bullies come from environments where there's something attached to them. It's more to it than just that physical realm explanation. Yeah. You'd be amazed at how a prayer will stop bullying tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? From a parent, yeah. not necessarily from the kid, but from the parent, it'll stop bullying dead in mm-hmm. its tracks. And the kid won't even know why you don't want to bully the other kid anymore. He don't know why he was doing it in the first place. Yep. They don't realize like I'm rambling. <laughs> it's great though. I, I agree with you a hundred percent, you know, and, and that's why I do what I do. I like, you know, trying to share as much information with people. So, so they become maybe a little bit more open-minded towards, towards all these different other spiritual ideas. You know, I agree with you a hundred percent. Uh, 120%. It's all about sharing information. And those of us who have the information are the ones that win. You know, you're going to win if you have the right information. You've got the wrong information. You just, you're going to suffer. Yeah. You're going to suffer. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on the show tonight, man. I love talking to you. No, I, I appreciate it. I thought we was going to, did we go over time? Oh, I don't know. I don't really have a time thing. You got, you got more? Yeah, I thought I was. I thought it was like to eight from seven to eight forty-five. What is it? Eight sixteen. We keep going unless you if yeah, you feel nah. that's good enough, then we can kill it. No, nah, we can keep going. Yeah, definitely. No, I could do this for hours, bro. Um, <laughs> honestly, I can. This is this is kind of what I do. Um, uh, me too, actually. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> The, I guess the last thing I, I want to touch on and then we, we can sum it up is is really because uh, I kind of took you guys around the world and then and then kind of hit some really, really tough subjects. But I'll share with your audience more of kind of my spiritual warfare and some of the things that happened to me. So I went through a divorce during that divorce. The only thing I negotiated was to have access to my kids. I didn't care about cars, houses, none of that. Like, look, you have all that crap. I just want my kids, right? right? I don't really care about nothing. 
money is not a thing. Money is something that you can make at will if you really put your your focus on it, right? Right. Um, as I told you guys earlier about like me kind of coming in encounter, having encounters with different people who were angry at me. There was a time period where um, I was under extreme attack. Like one one incident. I talked to this lady. I'm in Dallas, Texas. I talked to this lady. It's a Saturday. And um, she calls me and she wants to talk about what's going on in her world. She says, well, you know, I feel like I'm cursed and something's always going wrong with me. And I was like, well, give me an idea. What's what do you mean? She says, well, for example, if I get a new car, that car will be wrecked within three weeks. Um, if I get money, I can't hold on to money for more than a week. Like, well, I said, well, what kind of money are we talking about? I said, if I gave you $10,000 a day, how long would that $10,000 last? She said, within seven days, enough things will go wrong for me to have to spend that $10,000. I'm like, okay, this is not good, right? Um, she goes into family members dying. Um, Stuff like how one day her and her husband, before they got their divorce, she was just riding down the street, saw this house, and this house was calling to her and beckoning to her, and um, how um, she had to have this house. Once they got the house, things started weird started happening. She was laying in the bed one night, looking at looking down the hallway where she could see her husband watching TV, and this gigantic shadow starts to kind of um what's the best word to say it manifest in the hallway and the way she described it was it was a gigantic shadow man but he didn't have eyes there was holes through the shadow where the eyes would be to where she could see the light from the tv reflecting through it right and scared her so much she started screaming her husband gets up starts coming down the hallway sees this thing freaks out literally runs through it to get to her right that relationship falls apart and um, and she ends up getting a divorce and all kind of bad stuff starts happening to us later, right? In the middle of that conversation with her, I am at this place called Wing Shack, I think is the name of it, or Wings and Things. It may have been Wing Shack, because I think Rick Ross owned, the rapper owns a Wing Shack, and I kind of think it's green and white is the colors of this place. And so I'm ordering like these kind of chicken nugget chicken breast nuggets and some fries and um, we're talking. I get my food. I come and I sit down at the cigar shop next door and I'm kind of talking to her and I'm eating and she's just talking, talking, talking and this little voice in the back of my head says put that food down and throw it away and start drinking water because you get ready to start choking. And I'm like, what? Not like an audible voice, but it's kind of hard to explain. Like something tells me to do that. Mm-hmm. But anytime that's ever happened throughout my life, I'll always listen because it was right. So I get up, throw the food away, start drinking water. And probably about five minutes after that, I feel like my throat is closing up, like literally closing. Right? And I'm like, what the hell is going on? I can barely talk. I'm coughing. I tell her, hey, I'm going to call you back. Get off the phone with her. I'm like, all right, something wrong with this lady. I ain't talking to her no more. I'm done with that. That night, I go to the apartment with my girlfriend. We kind of chilling, hanging out. I go to bed, right? I'm laying on my right-hand side, kind of my back to her. Her back is to me. And I feel something sticking a finger in my nose. Like, I can literally feel like a sharp, pointy finger going up my nose and into my nose, right? What is that? And I swap. 
oh, you got to hear this. This is crazy. So I start swatting my hand. You know how somebody's playing with your nose in your sleep? Oh, you yeah. swing your, your hand over your nose, and it hits something, like something solid. And I'm like, I open my eyes, like, what the hell, right? Now I'm freaking out. I'm like, what the hell was that? I look over. I well, actually I reach over and, and try to grab my girl to see if like she's trying to touch me, but she's got a back turn. So I'm like, okay, well maybe I'm tripping. I go start going back to sleep, and I'm falling back to sleep, and then I feel something sticking its hand in my mouth. It's going in my mouth, opening my teeth. I feel it rubbing against my tongue, and I feel it going down my throat, like this long, like pointy thing going down my throat, and I feel it touching the inside of my throat. So I bite down. And when I bite down, I taste this kind of um, earthy, it's like, it's like mud, like you bit down on mud, you know what I'm saying? But solid mud. And to the point to where when I sit up, I'm kind of like <clears throat> spitting, right? Open my eyes, nothing's there, but I know something touched me. I look at her, bay. are you touching me? She's like, no, I'm sleeping, leave me alone. I'm freaked out, bro. I'm like, and this is before I knew anything about how to pray to protect myself. I'm freaked out. I'm almost cursed. I'm effed up, dude. So I go out, get on the balcony, get a cigar, and I'm just sitting there, man, like, what the hell do I do? And the only thing I could think to do was to kind of turn on YouTube and start playing um, preachers. Just any preacher I could find, dude. Like, I didn't, I didn't care who it was. I just played it, right? And I still got this sense that something's with me while I'm sitting there. Um, that happened about two o'clock in the morning. I didn't go back inside. The sun was coming up when I came inside. Right? I had smoked maybe five, six cigars. I mean, I, I was thrown off. Right. So finally I go back inside. The sun's going up and I go to sleep, wake up a couple of hours later and I'm still freaking out. So I end up getting this exorcist on the phone and he and I start talking about what happened and he's laughing. He says, man, you know what you did, right? And I was like, nah. He said, you butted in the business of some kind of old world magical entity. It's probably a generational curse or a being that's been on her family for generations, and uh -huh. it paid you a visit, and it doesn't like the fact that you interceded on her behalf. He's like, it's going to keep messing with you, and you're going to need to do prayers in order to get rid of it. I was like, man, that don't make no sense. He's like, I'm telling you, it's going to keep messing with you. The next day, I get on a plane, and I go home. My girl calls me in the middle of the night and she says, I thought you was in a bed with me for a little while because something was messing with my face. And I was like, oh, hell, right? Now you messing with my woman, so now I'm pissed. So I'm like, all right, we're going to deal with this. So I start opening my Bible. I start reading. I start praying. And so now I'm studying, you know, how spiritual warfare, well, how do you deflect these things? What do you do? What do you say? What's this? What's that? Da, da, da. I made it all complicated. I really did. It wasn't really that freaking complicated, but I made it super complicated, right? And um, then stuff started happening at my house in New Orleans. Like, my keys go missing, bro. Like, my car keys go missing. I put them on the kitchen counter. I know I put them there. I remember dropping them there. I had got groceries. I put the keys there. I put the grocery bag there. I took the wine out of the bag, threw the bag in the trash can, put the wine in this little holder, and went into my bedroom. The next day, I can't find my keys. That whole day, I searched for my keys. I find my keys downstairs in the basement under the washing machine. The only reason why I found them under the washing machine is because I stumbled and kind of bumped into the washing machine. And when it moved, I heard keys. And so I lifted up the washing machine, and they're under the washing machine, not like 
on the edge. They are up under, like someone picked it up and put them directly under the washing machine. I'm like, oh, hell. I got all kind of crazy, freaky stuff going on, right? <laughs> um, next thing you know, my son, and this is when it really got bad, and this is when it really started pissing me off. My son comes in my room in the middle of the night, and he says, Dad, something's wrong. I say, what's wrong? I think Johnny was maybe nine years old at this point in time. Johnny's 14 now. Johnny says, Dad, something's wrong. I was asleep, and something told me to take my crucifix off because God couldn't help me. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, it told me take my crucifix off. God can't help me take it off now. I said, well, where's your crucifix? He's like, well, I took it off. I said, go get it. Come get my bed. I get him out of the room because him and his brother were in bone beds. I get his brother out of the room. His brother sleep. I literally pick him up, put him in my bed. I go in their room, close the door, and I lay on the floor. And I'm laying on the floor. I'm getting chills not talking about it because whatever this thing is, it's probably like, oh, you talking about me. But it can play around if it want to. I'm laying on the floor, and I can feel the presence in the room. And so I said, hey, this is exactly how I'm talking. I said, hey, whoever you are, whatever you are, whatever made you think that you should come here and mess with my children, I got to tell you, this is where I draw a line. This is going to stop right now. And so I start praying. And then finally, it hits me. Wait, you never told it to leave in the name of Jesus Christ. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave and never come back in here. Pew, gone, right? I'm like, all right, that's cool. It's gone. Kids never had another issue, never had nothing freaky, never had nothing weird. Then um, I had that little small coven of witches get mad because I said Jesus' name, and uh, I guess that pisses them off. And next thing you know, I'm laying in the bed, and a freaking shadow, dude. I mean, this is New Orleans houses, old New Orleans houses, 12-foot ceilings. Imagine you're laying on your bed. You know how you lay with your head at the head of the bed, right? right. I'm laying with my head at the foot of the bed, kind of on an angle, facing the door, my phone is laying on my, I'm laying on my left-hand side. The phone is laying on top of my face because I don't want to hold the phone. I'm being lazy. And my eyes are wide open. I see this thing walk out of the bedroom, my kid's bedroom, look at me, and then start walking down the hallway. And I'm on the phone with my girl, and I don't want to freak her out. So I'm like, babe, I got to use the bathroom. I got to take a poo. I'm going to call you back because that's the normal way to get rid of her is tell her you got to use the bathroom. <laughs> she ain't going to ask where you're going. So I just tell her I got to use the bathroom. I get up walk out of my bedroom into the hallway and I see it walking into the kitchen, walk into the kitchen and nothing's there. And I'm like, Oh, I know what I saw. I know what I saw. I'm not tripping. I'm not going crazy. And this house is ice cold. When I say ice cold, bro, I mean, 40 degrees cold. Like it's summertime outside too. It's like somebody got a freaking air conditioning running then a cooler one of those ice chest air conditions, <laughs> like blowing on, you know, the kind of, they put the fan it, it, it inside the cooler, get, little ghetto one. Yeah. It doesn't get ice cold in New Orleans. <laughs> right. And so I'm now I'm freaking out, but I'm at home by myself. And I'm like, okay, this, somebody sent this, this is not normal. Right. Because I wasn't having any problems up until this point. And, um, I think it was about, 11.40, maybe 12 o'clock, and I called the exorcist. He doesn't answer. The only other person I could think of was the call was uh, Heather Wade, who did at that point in time, she was doing Midnight in the Desert. Her and I are pretty cool. She's the only person I know that's up that time of night. So I call her, Heather, this is what happened in my house, blah, 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 blah. She said, oh, something, somebody sent something to your house, and you're probably going to need to do some prayers, and you're going to, you know, like that, the way she talks, kind of slow and and you're going to need to do this, 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 this. And I said, okay. So I get my Bible. I start doing the prayers. And 
again, I forget to use Jesus Christ's name like because I'm an idiot, right? So I'm reading Psalms out of the Bible, walking around, and you feel the coldness subside. Like it literally, you can feel it like the, the room becoming warm and normal again, but my feet are freezing cold. So I call her back. I say, hey, everything feels normal except for my feet are freezing. She said, well, is there a basement in that building? Like, do you have like a basement? Because you might have ran it into the basement and you're going to need to go down there and confront it and send it back where it came from because if not, it's going to harass you. And I'm like, okay, so I go down in the basement, ice cold. I'm talking about freezer, meat freezer cold. And I'm like, oh, so you down here. And then it hits me. Oh, I forgot to use Jesus' name. So I say, listen, I don't know who sent you. I don't know why you're here. I don't know what you want, but this is not the place for you. Say, look, in the name of Jesus Christ, go back where you came from and give them what you were intended to give to me. Pew, gone. Like you feel the, you literally feel the temperature rise in a room rapidly and it's gone. And I ain't never had no problems with that thing after that, right? right. Um, and I've had crazy stuff happen over and over. Another time I'm talking to this guy. God tells me, he says, yeah, man, I got a demon. And I don't really have a problem with him. I just wanted to call you and tell me you my stories. I'm like, so is it you calling me or is it the demon calling me? Which one of you guys want to talk to me? Both. So you're telling me his stories. And it's about 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting outside on the porch. And you know this to be a fact. And anybody else knows this. Like crows, you will never see a crow at night, right? I don't Two crows fly up, land on the power line, start squawking in the middle of the night. And I'm sitting there looking at these things just squawking. I'm like, I've never seen a blackbird in the nighttime in the dark anywhere. And I had never seen that. Right. right. Um, a few moments later, I see this shadow. I mean, 12, 13 foot tall shadow crossing the street, going towards these people's house, like literally just crossing the street, walking under the street light, going to the front door of these people's house. And I said, yeah, man, I just saw a shadow cross the street. Oh, that's probably one of our friends. I said, listen, man, I'm going to tell you like this, brother. I don't have no beef with you. I don't have no issue with you, but I don't want none of this smoke that you got, man. Ain't nothing for me and you to talk about. I said, you calling me with the intentions of scaring me. I said, it's not really scaring me. I said, it's just weird. I said, you know, if you happy with the whole demon thing, you and your demon friend be happy. I'm happy with Jesus. You be happy with the demon. Bada bing, bada boom. You do you, I'm going to do me. Click. I hang up the phone. And I had, you know, so I've had insane stuff happen since I started doing this because I open my, in order to talk to someone about their encounter, you have to open yourself up to them. So yeah. in order for me to find out what's going on with you, I have to be vulnerable with you. Uh-huh. And that's where the danger is, is being vulnerable. That's me answering the phone. I immediately make myself vulnerable mm-hmm. to whatever's on the other end of the phone. Right. And then it escalated to, this is the weirdest thing out of all of them. I am um, at that house where the porch where all this stuff is happening, right? And this chaos breaks out. Uh, I mean, extreme chaos. The house starts going to foreclosure that the, the, the land, the landlord is losing the house, is going into foreclosure. She's building another house. She's moving out. Um, she's mad at me for whatever reason. And this lady is like a mother to me. Like she never treated me this way. Just this pure chaos breaks out all around me. Um, and the whole time I'm praying, like the whole time, every day I'm at six o'clock in the morning, I'm getting up, reading my Bible, I'm praying, smoking my cigars. Right now, if you open my Bible, there's so many ashes in my Bible. You're like, man, you really do read it and smoke cigars, right? <laughs> and um, 
then I started getting these phone calls, like different voices, different people with a continuous conversation. The first phone call was an older elderly lady. And she's like, I was just calling to tell you that Jesus Christ doesn't love you and you're going to burn in hell. Click. I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Phone rings again. So like a little child. Uh-huh. Hey, can I speak to Dark Waters? I'm like, hey, this is Dark Waters. What can I do for you? I was just calling to tell you that Jesus Christ doesn't love you. You're going to burn in hell and we know who you are. Click. And it, and it happens over and over and over. And it's just different voices every time. And I'm like, what the hell's attention did I get? This is crazy, right? Yeah. That goes on for about a month while all this chaos is going on. It's like it reaches this crescendo where whatever this is, is letting me know that I'm doing all this stuff around me, right? right. Then um, all of a sudden I get a windfall of money, like $14,000. Boom, just dropped in my lap. And something says, time for you to move. So I'm going to go ahead and move, right? And as I'm going through the process of packing and moving, this chaos is still going on. I start getting phone calls. And the first phone call is, it's a pre-recorded message, freak me the hell out. And it says, um, how did it say? It said, God has a message for you. If you want to hit a message, press one. I press one. And it says, God wants you to know that he gave you a financial blessing because of the situation that you're in is too powerful for you right now. He needs to remove you from that situation, but he's going to send you back into that darkness after he strengthens you. Press five. I press five. Then the freaking voicemail. I mean, this is a pre-recorded message, dude. Starts prophesying things that are going to happen. It says, um, you've been at war. You've been a great soldier. And God is about to bless you. He's going to move you to a new place. He's going to give you new peace. You're going to rest. You're going to sleep. You're never going to worry. Nothing's going to be able to touch you. And then it asks for a donation. I'm like, I ain't giving you no money. This is a scam, right? I thought it hung up. I said, I ain't giving you no money. I'm thinking this is a scam. This has got to be some kind of scam, right? So I'll click. I'm hanging up the phone. Two days later, it calls back. Another prophecy. Within every time it called, within three, four days, whatever it said happened was going to happen. And it happened every time, right? This goes on for like a year after that. I moved from that place. I'm at my new place. Everything is cool. It goes on for like a solid year. The final phone call is, God wants you to know that he's proud of you. You went to war. You understand what spiritual warfare is. You understand exactly what to do and that he's here with you no matter what you go through, no matter what you face moving forward. God is here for you. He's going to bless you. He's going to continue to pour down blessings on you. Like It made me break down crying like literally like on my hands and knees crying because it was so true. Like everything that, that whoever, I don't even know who the hell that was. I don't know what preacher it was. I couldn't track it down. I never gave any money. I never donated anything, but Mm -hmm. it, and then it just stopped. Bloop. Never called again. And from now moving forward, it's true. I mean, I talk to people who have demons and I ain't worried about the damn demon. I have people come to my house. This is how crazy it is, Gary. People come to my house to visit, right? Uh-huh. And around my door frame is written every name of God. Around the window seals on the inside is written every name of God. Old names, Hebrew names, right. every name. I have people come to my house. I have a ring doorbell, right? They come in my house. They sit down. We're talking. The ring doorbell is constantly going off like someone's outside. We look out the window. We don't see anybody, but the ring doorbell is, is identifying someone outside. It's going ding, 
ding, ding, ding. And people are like, man, why is your doorbell going off like that? Then finally one day it hit me. Oh, whatever you had with you couldn't come inside of here. It's still outside. <laughs> it's waiting on you outside because it can't get in here. And it happened so much that I just unplugged the doorbell. Like I, the battery went dead mm-hmm. on it. I don't. I didn't charge it back up again because it was happening to the point to where it was freaking other people out. Like my sister and her kids came over one day, and ding, 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 ding. They're just going. It's like what the hell is wrong with your doorbell? I was like, I'm not gonna tell them what that is. I'm just gonna leave it alone. When they left, <laughs> it stopped. <laughs> just like <laughs> so, I just don't turn the doorbell on anymore. My son was like, Daddy, why you don't turn on the doorbell? And my oldest son was like, man, you remember what was happening when that doorbell was on and people was coming over, it was going crazy. My youngest son, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. I don't think we should turn that back on. Because God forbid I look at the video and something's there one time, I'm going to freak out. You know what I'm saying? But so far, nothing's been caught on video, but it's been picking up on someone outside. And we ain't talking about like leaves blowing. Because there's no tree in front of the door where the leaves are going to blow and set it off. There's nothing there. So... Mm -hmm. I, I yeah. say all that to say this to the people listening. It's real. Spiritual warfare is real. These entities, whether it be ethereal or um, material like us, they're real. Whether you believe in them or not really don't matter. It doesn't. They believe in you and they are there around you doing whatever they do. So it would behoove you to learn how to protect yourself or to protect your family. Regardless of what you believe. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, too, like every tradition, no matter what you believe, usually it has some type of way to protect yourself from this type of entities. Yep. And that's the most important thing that you protect yourself. Just don't be an idiot and don't dabble in stuff that you don't need to be dabbling in. So many people get caught up because they want to they wanna play with a Ouija board. They want to dabble with the fifth and sixth books of Moses and the seals of Solomon. Uh, man, leave that alone. Leave it alone. That make no mm-hmm. sense. Unless you're going to really study that stuff right. and find somebody, a mentor that's into that, that knows that, man, leave that alone. Yeah. Like, I, I do talk to a lot of experts on that type of stuff with the seals of Solomon and, and all that stuff. But these are guys that have, you know, studied it for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And even them, like when kids come to them, they'll say, "Like, look, kid, grow up first, and then come back." <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't be messing around with that stuff. If you don't know what you're dealing with, leave it alone. Right? Yeah, you definitely have to be mature, and you have to be spiritually grounded. You you have to be, you know, spiritually conscious before doing it. I had a business partner of mine. Um, it's amazing what the Psalms of the Bible will do. I've had these arguments with people like on YouTube. We say, oh, you pray the Psalms? That's like Jewish mysticism. And I'm like, shut up. Don't talk to me. Like, don't tell me how to communicate with God. I mean, in church, they sing the Psalms of the Bible. I'm like, don't quit it, right? Well, I had a business partner. He and I started kind of drifting apart. And so I started doing the prayers from the Psalm of the Bible to protect you against business partners, like bad business partners. He kind of evacuates my life like it's gone. Talk to, um, he's reaching out and something tells me just not to talk to the guy. Like something says, hey, he calls you, don't answer the phone. And I'm normally not that person. Like I don't write people off, but something is telling me 
in my heart, look, don't answer the phone for this dude, something not right. He calls one of my other business partners and starts talking to him and talks about how he's been practicing hoodoo and how he's got in contact with his ancestors and he uses the pendulum and he's talking to the spirits to get information and all this other stuff, right? right. And that friend of mine who I still do business with is saying, man, you know, you really need to talk to him. I said, man, there's a reason why my spirit told me not to talk to this dude. I said, he's dabbling in something. And I say, he wants to get to me for some reason. I said, I can't figure out why. I said, but he knows getting to me doesn't necessarily end well because he was around when I started Dark Water. So he's seen a lot of the stuff. I said, so I haven't figured out why he wants to talk to me. I said, but when the time is right, we'll see each other and we'll talk, but the time is not right. Well, he keeps calling the other business partner, other friend of mine, and they hold conversation after conversation after conversation. Now he's sacrificing chickens and all and doves and all kind of other crazy stuff. And this guy was, that wasn't what he was doing. Like he wasn't that type of person, yeah. but now that's what he is. You know, it's like, Hey man, that's what you do. Do you, but don't do that over here by me. I don't want, I don't want you stepping foot in my house with none of that foolishness because whatever's with you is going to come with you. So you stay over there. I'm going to stay over here. If we see each other, we could talk, but and keep that from around me. I don't want none of that smoke. I don't want it nowhere near me. Hmm. So he sort of went down a dark path. I don't know if it's dark, mm-hmm. but it definitely ain't, because I haven't spoken to him to see what he's doing it for, but I don't think there's nothing good about sacrificing things at all. Yeah. You know yeah, what I'm saying? I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I spoke, I just interviewed, um, uh, a lady who wrote a book on hoodoo and she said one of the reasons that she, she didn't want to do voodoo is because she didn't want to do any sacrifices. Mm-hmm. No, because the sacrifice thing just turned her off. Yeah. Man, people don't understand the power of that magic. For example, you notice this year, how many hurricanes came to New Orleans and how many of them turned at the last minute? People don't pay attention. We had five, six hurricanes come beaming for New Orleans. Each and every last one of them turned, went to the right or to the left. Yeah, one of them got me. <laughs> when you talk to the hoodoo and voodoo practitioners, they all been at St. John's Bay, which is right by um, City Park, mm-hmm. and they all been doing hurricane turning ceremonies. Every last one of them. Because they say, they say New Orleans cannot take a hit from another hurricane. We will never have another Katrina again. That They tell you we will never have Katrina again. Ever will we have that again. And um, one of them that I talked to in particular, she was like, yeah, you know, I think we might have overdid it because they had like seven alligators come up floating dead in the, in the bayou this week. Mm-hmm. We might have went a little bit too hard, James, and, uh, but we just not taking no more hurricanes. <laughs> you know, it has to be a sacrifice for that kind of magic to work. Yeah, I don't think they stabbed the alligator and killed it, but they definitely took the alligator's life in their attempt to do what they did. Uh-huh. You know, I don't want another Katrina either, so I ain't mad at them for turning them if that's the case, but people just don't understand the power that's involved in that. And when, like when you started off saying, well, does it work on you if you believe it or not? No, it works, period. It works. You just need to know what you're dealing with when you're dealing with somebody who does that kind of stuff. If they're willing to make a sacrifice or they're willing to supercharge whatever it is that they're doing. And you better be supercharged yourself. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> to be able to turn a, uh, a category three or four hurricane takes some serious power. Think about it. You, you, if you're in the South or if you're anywhere around the Gulf Coast, it was this last one that just went through. The one before that, that hit St. Charles Parish yep. or by whatever that is. The one before that went to Florida. The one before that went to Florida. Oh, I got one of them got him. out there and it was coming from New Orleans and it stopped and it mm-hmm. danced right in front of New Orleans. It backed up. <laughs> then it went the other way. Like, dude, there's no way to deny it. Yeah, we got hit by Sally over here. It was terrible. Yeah. There's no way to deny it. Like, if it happened once, you could be like, oh, this dude's crazy. Uh-huh. Anybody listening, go look at the path of them hurricanes. And I, I think it was six of them total, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> but go look at the path. They would come to New Orleans. They would stop, slow down, turn. Start coming to, they'll have New Orleans in the cone of the hurricane. Be like, oh, this hurricane is coming for New Orleans. Then it'll gradually shift and shift and shift. And just like the one that just hit in the exact same spot two times in a row. Yeah, what Historically, that? mathematically, that's impossible. That's, mathematic, that's mathematically impossible, bro. <laughs> it just don't, that just, that's insane. The odds of them hitting the exact same spot two times in a row is mathematically impossible. Something's going on. I think I know what it is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I never thought of that. I had no idea that's what they were doing. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Well, that's what people people don't understand that when you come to New Orleans and they be like, I got to New Orleans and I had such a great time and blah, blah, blah. And you know, I went to Bourbon Street. Think about the experience. Most people say, I come to New Orleans and went to Bourbon Street. Me and my friends got drunk. It was like a I've heard people say it was like a flash of light, everything that happened. Yeah, you done came down here and got drunk. And mm-hmm. something picked up on you and took you around and rode you around and had fun. And then when you got undrunk, it let you go and you went back home. And that's what happens. <laughs> it's an amazing place. Yep, an amazing place. If, if you're awake and you know what's going on, it's even more amazing. Dude, I'm going to have to come down here and hang out with you. Come on down, man. Let's have us a go and have us a glass of wine. I ain't drinking no liquor with you, but I will pop a bottle of wine <laughs> in a heartbeat. <laughs> Uh, I'm happy with uh, tea. I'm definitely a tea drinker. You'll take a tea? Well, I'll smoke a cigar and drink some tea with you. Let's do it. We got it, man. I'll be down there. It's only about a three-hour drive for me. Nah, it's not bad. No. It's not bad at all. Well, man, thanks for being on. No, man, have me back soon, man. I would love to be on. I enjoy talking to you, man. This is what I do. I enjoy sharing information with people. And the one thing you got to know when you interview me is you ain't going to have to pull no teeth. We're going to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, I love this, man. This was fantastic. You're a great interview. No, thank you, man. And just let me know when you want me to be back on. And to your audience, you guys uh, have fun. Enjoy yourselves. Stay protected and, and love and enjoy life, man. Love it all. Every moment of it. Oh, let me just remind them, uh, where can they find you again? Uh, YouTube, Dark Waters, Facebook at DarkH201, Twitter at DarkH201, and IamDarkWaters.com is my website. Awesome. And I'll post a link to that on the, in the notes of this episode so they can find you. And next time I come on, let me, next time I come on, let's do it another month or so. 
let me play some of the stories for him, and that'll be really scare the hell out of people. Oh yeah, um, we'll do a great. couple of stories, and you know, yeah, bro, you wanna you wanna talk about people? I got one we gonna play. Want to talk okay. about people not sleeping? Some crawling in the bed with them that night. They be like, man, something came in my room. This is crazy. <laughs> They're gonna be scared out of their mind. That'd be awesome. Absolutely, man. All right, I'll brother. Well, thank you. Month. All right, sounds good. Talk to you soon. You too, man. Thanks. Have a great night. All right, good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy T-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life. Because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.